of that early group. He was part of the, the seven uh, early deacons, if you would, with Stephen. And, and he was one that was scattered and, and went out and he went to Samaria. And he shared and he boldly shared the truth with them, the, the gospel with them. And many came to faith. Many were baptized. Peter and John came down to Jerusalem and prayed and laid hands on them that the Holy Spirit would fall upon this new fellowship that was starting in Samaria. And that's where we pick ourselves up today in Acts chapter 8, verse 25. It says, so when they, that's speaking of Peter and John, had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem where they were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Peter and John came from Jerusalem. It tells us at this point that the, the, the apostles were still headquartered and staying there. Peter and John now heading back to Jerusalem and all along the way as they go through the cities and villages of Samaria, heading back to Jerusalem, sharing the gospel. But we pick up and now in verse 26 where it says, but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasury. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join his chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? Here we see Philip, the same Philip that we saw, that, that we spoke of just now, that was scattered out of Jerusalem, went to Samaria, had this amazing ministry that is going on, many, many people coming to faith. And here we see that he's called away from that to go to this place out in the middle of nowhere and have an encounter with this Ethiopian. And we're going to look at the story a little bit more in depth in a moment, but I want to I pull off here for just a second, because if you were here Wednesday night, we looked at another man of great faith, Elijah, and we looked at chapters 17 and 18 of 1 Kings. I gave them some extra credit homework on Wednesday night to read ahead what we're looking at right now, and I'll give you all some extra credit homework. Go read 1 Kings 17 and 18 this afternoon. But the parallels to me as we look at these stories together are amazing, and I don't think it's any coincidence, because I don't believe God works in coincidences, that it was Wednesday night, we're talking about Elijah, and today we're talking about Philip. The faith that it takes to do what Philip is doing astounds me. To leave what it is that God is doing and having him work through, and he says simply, go. It says, get up and go. And notice the next verse, it says, so he got up and went. That's awesome to me. God simply spoke to him, go, and he went. And we see in Elijah, we look at, at the story of Elijah, the man, and I'll paraphrase it for you really quickly, not that you don't have to read it later. But he goes to the king, King Ahab, the most powerful man in the land, and says, as the Lord God Almighty lives before whom I stand, it's not going to rain again until I say it's going to rain. And, and then he, he follows God's direction to go to the brook Cherith and then on from there to a widow woman to take care. And then finally it culminates in chapter 18 with the battle on top of Mount Carmel with the, the prophets of Baal. And I look at Elijah and I look at a man like Philip and I'm thinking, these guys under their, under their robes, 
got to have capes on. These are like super saints. And we look at this and we say, now how can we, we can draw principles and say, okay, someday I hope that I can attain to something like that. And bottom line, does anybody want to have faith like that? Seven of us? <laughs> All right. We see in here that, that as we are going to look through this, guys, it's not just for them back then. One of the things that I love about this as we look at these two together is Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. Philip is a New Testament table waiter. And God does amazing things through both of them. God uses incredible faith in both of them. But it's a process in both of them. And you know what else it says in, in the word? Peter tells us that the same faith that they had that we're talking about in this early church is the same faith you and I have. And James tells us that Elijah was a man with the same nature as you and I have. Now, you can argue with that all day long, and I do. <laughs> I say, the things I'm seeing in there, that doesn't line up with my nature. But understand what is being said there. The nature that we have, they're not superhuman. They're human just like we are. Human nature, but filled, as Peter tells us, with the nature of God in us, too. And we, and we look at these things, and guys, it starts out with a decision. It's one thing to say, I want more faith. It's another thing to say, God, I'm making a claim. I'm stating it right now. I'm going to let you give me more faith. Because that's where it stops for most of us. G Joshua told, his, told the people, choose today who you're going to serve. Choose today. So we need to make that choice. We need to make it every day. But you want to make that choice today? God, God I choose today I'm going to serve you. That takes great faith. Just like we, we just sang, it takes trust and obedience. If we're going to serve him, it takes trust and obedience. And we look at these guys, and we'll look at the stories together as we walk through this, but the, the process that it goes through and the trust and obedience that involves, first of all, notice that God doesn't oftentimes, as a matter of fact, most of the time, doesn't give us all the steps out all at once. He gives us the first step, and we need to step out in faith. When we look at Elijah, it tells us in, in chapter 17, verse 1, I just quoted it for you. He went in front of King Ahab, and he said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, it's not going to rain again until I say it's going to rain. Verse 2 says, Then God told him, Go to the brook Cherith. That says that he didn't know step 2 when he went before the king. The one thing he knew is that he was going to live through it because God told him, you're going to be the one that pronounces that it will rain again. So he's going to live through the process, but he doesn't know if he's going to be thrown in prison, if he's going to be beaten. He doesn't know step two. But he was obedient in step one. We see here, Philip told to go down into the desert. It says, get up and go. So he got up and went. And then it says, then, when he saw the Ethiopian, then the word says, go talk to him. He didn't know why he was going. But he went, he stepped out in faith, in obedience. And right now I'm going to say, guys, that doesn't line up with my nature for the most part. I want to know steps one through ten before I take step one. But God doesn't work that way most of the time. It takes a step of faith, that first step, a step of faith. Not knowing what's next, but trusting and obeying. The children of Israel... 
when they're going to cross over into the promised land, God tells the, the priests, pick up the ark and step into the Jordan River, and you are going to lead the, the procession across. Problem? The Jordan River is at flood stage, it tells us. That means it's flowing over its banks, and if you've ever seen a river when it's flooding, you can't see the bottom because it's muddy and it's turbulent and it's crazy. And it doesn't say go up to the shore and stop and wait because that's what I'd want to do, especially if I'm the front guy. <laughs> say, all right, Lord, dry it up now. I believe you're going to do it. Go ahead and do it. Anytime now. I'll carry it across myself. If, if I have to, but dry it up first. But God said, no, step in first. And as they were obedient and as they stepped in, it says, as they're stepping down, the water dries up, boom, and they step down onto dry land. Guys, we need to step in, not being able to see the bottom, but trusting the one who knows what's down there. Abraham, called by the Lord to just go. It says that he left, not knowing where he was going, but trusting the one who does. And that's what we're called to do, this step of obedience, this step of faith. And that's, that's the first step. We need to trust him for his provision. It tells us in, in Elijah's story, God told him, I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there at the brook Cherith. But Elijah had to be there in order to get the provision. We need to trust that God is going to provide for us everything that we need for whatever it is that he's going to call us to do. Where God guides, God provides. And we need to also trust that when we get there, we're not going to be left wondering. We'll get further instruction as we move along. As we see here with the story of Philip, when he was obedient in step one, God gave him step two, but only when the time was right and only when it was needed. We need to trust him for provision. We need to trust God for protection as we step out in faith. Both men, both men were wanted men. Elijah, it tells us in 1 first, in first Kings, as we're reading through chapter 17 and 18, it says that Ahab sent spies throughout the whole land looking for Elijah, and he made the leaders of other countries promise and swear that, that nobody's seen Elijah. He's just hanging out by the brook Cherith under a tree. He's not even hiding. He's just hanging out. Philip, persecution heavy. We saw this last week. Saul is actively ravaging the church. Both of these guys wanted men, but we trust God for protection. Guys, when we are in the center of will, the will of God, we are in the safest place we could possibly be. When God calls us and we are obedient in that, we can't be in a safer place. We need to trust God for the preparation. All of us, when we step out in faith, can say, I'm not ready for that. And I think that that's part of the reason why oftentimes God doesn't show me what step five is. Because I'm not ready for step five now. And my faith, the way it is, would be to run the other direction. And God says, I'll, when you get to step five, you'll be ready. You're not ready now, but you will be then. And we need to trust God for the preparation. And we need to trust him in the process. Because let me tell you right now, the preparation process isn't easy. It's not painless. As a matter of fact, Cherith, 
the brook Cherith, where, where Elijah was sent, literally means cutting. And God oftentimes in the preparation process needs to cut stuff away. He needs to cut away old things. That's the way we've always done it. Got to cut that away. <laughs> this is what I'm comfortable in. I got to cut that away. These are my strengths, Lord, and these are my weaknesses. I got to cut that away. Because if we're relying on our own strength, that's a big problem. He's got to deal with things and preconceived notions so that we learn that God works outside of the box that we always try to put him in. I think it's interesting. Uh, God told Elijah, I've commanded the ravens to provide for you there. Now, you might read over that and not think that's significant. I think that's hugely significant because a raven is an unclean bird. And here's this godly Jewish man. He's going to have a raven bring me a meal? He's going to bring me meat and bread in the morning and meat and bread in the evening? I hope he at least stops at a kosher deli. <laughs> Although he's probably thinking God, well, he's going to send a dove, but God works outside of the box. Then he commands the, him to go to Zarephath, this town where the widow woman would take care of him from there. You know what Zarephath means? Refinery. I don't think those are insignificant things. God sends us to those places where the heat gets turned up to refine us. And he continues to do that work in Elijah. The work that was done in Philip to prepare him for this. Guys, he... He experienced the death of a close friend, Stephen. He witnessed intense persecution. All the while, though, God's preparing him. He did, like I said, he didn't go into hiding. He allowed God to use that. Even the difficult parts, trusting in the Lord the entire way. Trusting in the preparation, trusting him through the process. Guys, God does not waste a single experience in our lives. Not one. You might think, why in the world am I going through this? And he might not answer that question other than just trust me. And when we trust him and obey him, the word is clear. He does work it all together for good and his glory. We also need to trust him for his providence, that he's in control and that he's moving. It says that he commanded the ravens to provide. He commanded the widow to provide for Elijah. How he does those things, I don't know, but he does them. Again, Philip I love it. It's in parentheses here, and I think it's kind of funny, especially for us in Arizona. It says, this is a desert road. <laughs> I'm sending you out where it's hot and it's dry and it's barren. Why? He doesn't tell him. But God is a providential God, and his timing is perfect. And when Philip was obedient and he got there, when God said, what do you know? A caravan of Ethiopians <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere. We have to listen for God's voice in that. Again, he's the one who's aligning things up. He's the one who's moving. If we get ahead of God or behind God, we're the problem. We get ahead of God. Like Elijah, if he wouldn't have stayed at the brook 
And he would have gotten ahead of God and said, I'm bored with this. Or it tells us that the brook dried up. He sees things are drying up and he says, well, I got to get out of here. And he would have gotten ahead of God in the whole process. The miracle when he gets to Zarephath is that the widow has enough flour and oil to make one cake. And Elijah says, make that for me and the flour and oil will last and it will continue day after day after day until it rains. That was the miracle. If Elijah got there a month ahead of time because he saw the brook starting to dry up and he took off and he got there a month ahead of time, there'd have been a month worth of flour and oil left. Not that big a deal. God's timing is perfect. By the way, the brook's drying up. You ever been in an experience where the, your brook is drying up? You're like, God, I don't understand this. Why are you doing this? This, this doesn't make sense. Why was, why was the, the brook in front of Elijah drying up? Because it stopped raining. And why did it stop raining? Because Elijah prayed that it would stop raining. James tells us, he prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain. It didn't rain for three years. You want to know why your brook is drying up? Because you prayed to be more like Jesus. Because you prayed to be used by God in a very special way. And he says, that's going to require this brook to dry up. But trust me. Trust me. Just obey and follow. Patience, the patience of Elijah, the haste of Philip. I love this too. This, the other piece of this again. When God says go, go. But not until he says go. <laughs> but when he says go, notice it says Philip ran up to the chariot. If he would have dilly-dallied, hung out a little while, he would have gotten there late. It's significant. We're going to see this in a minute. And I know this is a really big introduction, but we're going to see this in a minute. He, when he gets up there, the Ethiopian is reading Isaiah 53. And we're going to see that in a second, why that's so significant. But if he would have dallied and taken his time and just said, hey, I'm going, to kind of, I'm going to kind of blend into the crowd and then kind of work my way up, not running up there, he'd have gotten when he was reading Isaiah 61 or something else. God's timing is perfect. So move when he says, but hold until he says go. We see this, this easy, he comes, Philip now, as we take a look back here, Philip. It says that God sends him there, he goes and he went and he sees and he hears this Ethiopian as he's moving along in this big stretch chariot, big entourage that's moving by, and he hears this Ethiopian reading, as I mentioned, the text of Isaiah. Now, he's not driving, because texting and driving was a problem back then too, but so he's in the back seat reading the text of Isaiah. It tells us that he is a high court official in Ethiopia. The term here, Candace, is not a name, it's a title. It's for like queen mother. The, probably what took place, her husband, the king, has died. Their son is not old enough to take the throne yet, so she is ruling in her son's place. That was common then, and that's what this term means, Candace. This man is a high official in the court. As a matter of fact, he's in charge of the treasury. He's an extremely important man. He's wealthy. He has power. He's successful. He's traveling with, no doubt, a large entourage. And I will tell you that that 
that to me, God is preparing this man as well, stirring in his heart for this moment, this encounter. Because here we see a man who, from a worldly standpoint, pretty much has it all. He's got all money, he's got power, he's got all of this type of stuff. You can't get much higher in the kingdom without being the king, yet he's still hungry. He still knows that there's something else there. He's still searching. And somehow he had come across a Jewish person and, and, and had made it and heard about Yahweh God. And he travels from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship this Yahweh God. It tells us that's where he went, worship. He was returning from that. Saw the sacrificial system, saw everything that's going on, but notice as he's leaving religiosity, leaving the, the rules and the regulations of religion, he's still hungry. He's got this scroll that he no doubt purchased, which costs a lot of money because they were handwritten back then. And he's riding along and he's reading. And the Lord, the Spirit says to Philip, go up and join the chariot. Philip runs up, he hears him, and he says, do you understand what you are reading? Verse 31, and he said, how could I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate this generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. I love that. How, he asks him the question. He's obedient and running up there. How, how, uh, how, 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 do you understand what you're reading? He goes, how could I? Unless somebody tells me. And then this, the next question that he says, please tell me. Guys, that's what we refer to as an open door. <laughs> but Philip was there for the open door. He made himself available. Peter tells us, 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks to give you an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Always be ready. Always be ready for that, that defense. Somebody that asks you, what is it about you? What's this joy that you have? Explain this to me. Sometimes I think that if God gave us the opportunities we were praying for, God, give me an opportunity today. And some guy says, hey, do you know what this means? I was just reading this in the Bible this morning. We'd be like, always be ready. Always be ready. And always be ready for whoever it is. Again, this guy, this high official, very learned person, always be ready. I think sometimes we're ready to witness to the homeless person, but what about the CEO of the company you work for if that opportunity opens up for you? Always be ready, and always be ready with the gospel. I love that. It says, beginning with this, he preached Jesus. Guys, that's all it is, is preaching Jesus, preaching the gospel, preaching the whole gospel. Guys, we can't leave it out. We can't leave anything out. The world today says, well, don't talk about sin and don't talk about hell because that'll offend people. Guys, it is offensive and it should be offensive. You know who it's offensive to? Almighty God. Sin is offensive to a holy and righteous God. 
And we need to understand, and it's all got to start here, guys, that Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, creator of you and I, loves us and desires a personal and intimate relationship with every one of us. But sin has separated us from that. And there's, there's, no, there's no way to rectify that in ourselves. The sin that we have committed, this treason that we've committed against a holy and righteous God can't just be fixed by saying, I'm sorry. The sin needs to be atoned for. It needs to be paid for. And that's where the beauty of this story is that's where this all began. Beginning from this scripture, Philip tells him, and if you're there, please turn with me to Isaiah 53. Keep your finger here. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verse 7, says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Same verse we were looking at just now as the Ethiopian was. Like a man, or I'm sorry, like a lamb, that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, Philip no doubt saying, yes, this, this one suffered, but it was, he took the suffering for you and me. The penalty was due to us, but he took it in our place. Verse 9, his grave was assigned with the wicked, yet he was with the rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. He was innocent. But, verse 10, the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by the knowledge of the righteous one. My servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. In this, no doubt, Philip explaining to this Ethiopian, all of that that you saw going on in Jerusalem the sacrifices of those lambs, that all points to a sacrifice that took place on a cross. You see, those, those lambs, they're supposed to be without blemish, but they all have at least something wrong with them. But the Lamb of God, he was perfect. And it was because of his perfectness his holiness, his absolute righteousness, that that sacrifice was made for us and it was accepted for us. That God himself, the Son of God, stepped off his throne, came and he lived a perfect, sinless life, suffered and died in our place on the cross, paying our transgressions, our debt, paying a debt he didn't owe, he was perfect, but paying a debt we can't pay. And it's simply, as he said, justified, to justify those. That term, I, I like to say, it is, it's just as if I'd never sinned. It's not as if the sin never happened, but it's just as if I'd never committed it. 
because he takes it on himself. And explaining that to this Ethiopian, this one who kept, was still searching from all of the wealth that he had and all of the things that he thought would be satisfying and everything, every level he attained kept left leaving him wanting. Then he searches after it in religion and trying to find all of these things and finding these rules and these regulations and chasing after that and still finding himself hungry. And it'll, we're going to see it in a moment that he is rejoicing because now he knows the truth. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you've chased after everything the world has to offer, and you continue to run after it, but you know that you still are left wanting. You've perhaps grown up in a religious system, trying to follow a bunch of rules and trying to please this and not do that, and you still are hungry. Know that the answer is singular, and it's Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except for me. His perfect sacrifice on your behalf on the cross. That is the only way. And we've been talking about trust and obedience. The same is true here. You have to trust in that fact, in that truth, that he paid it all for you. And then you obediently surrender your life to him. No doubt as the story and the conversation continued. We don't know how long they were hanging out in the back of the stretch chariot there as they're going along. But somewhere in the process, Philip probably told him that before Jesus ascended to heaven, that he gave the command to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because we see the response in verse 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him. But he went on his way rejoicing. I could just again imagine the scene as this is all rolling out. Hey, I, I believe I want to be baptized. Why can't I? And Philip says, well, I, as soon as we see some water, water, there it is. Stop. <laughs> and they get out and they go down and Philip baptizes him. What is, can you imagine? And all of the people around and the excitement that's going on. And the, this Ethiopian comes out of the water, wiping away. And Phil, Phil, where'd you go? says, God snatched him away. That's harpazo, same word for rapture. The Lord took him away. He had done what he had been sent there to do, and the gospel in this man goes back to Ethiopia. Oh, man, there's, there's a whole lot of legends around what happened after that, but I, I can tell you one thing. A guy on fire like that in a position like that, look out. <laughs> Verse 40, but Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. We're going we're gonna to catch up with Philip again in several chapters when Paul goes through Caesarea and stops by Philip's house. Imagine that conversation. <laughs> yeah, you're the one who got me going in all of this thing, and it wasn't, it wasn't good then, but... 
guys, we look at stories like this, like Philip, and we look at stories like, like Elijah. We say, man, I'd love to have, be a part of a revival like that. We need more Philips. And we look at, and we look at the story like that, Elijah standing up to the powers that, that be at the time and, and boldly proclaiming, we need more Elijahs. And we say, where are the Phillips and where are the Elijahs? Right there. But bottom line is, we have to say, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to be like that. I'm willing to go, I'm willing to go and, and say something that is, and not knowing the consequences of it afterwards, but trusting in you. If you're telling me to go talk to that person, I'm going to go talk to that person. Man, everything seems to be booming. Everything seems to be successful. This is awesome. Man, everything's great. But you're calling me to go to the desert? Okay. All right. How long do I stay? Till I say go. Okay. <laughs> but I'm not ready. Trust me. You will be when you get there. Are we willing to do that? And again, it starts with today. Today, Lord, I choose to serve you. And that means I need to trust and obey you. I need to trust in you. And guys, as we prayed at the beginning, just think about that. That's the easiest thing that we could possibly do. Trusting God. Trusting God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, Trusting God who created everything, holds it all in the palm of his hand. Trusting God who loved you so much that he sent his only son to die for you to pay the penalty of your sin while we were yet sinners that took place. Trusting God. Guys, we, we should trust God way more than we trust that combustible engine that we're going to turn a key in in a few minutes. Way more than you should trust the seat that you're sitting in right now to hold you up. And if we trust him, how can we not obey him? Let's pray. Lord, it sounds so easy, but Lord, you know us. You know what makes us tick. You created us. And Lord, as we just said, it should be easy to trust and obey you, but Lord, we, we do. We confess right now. We struggle in our faith. As the man who, who, you, who came to you to heal his son, and you asked him, do you believe? He said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, we all stand here today and say, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Strengthen our faith, Lord. We know. Your word tells us faith is a gift. But Lord, as with any gift, we have to be willing to receive it. Lord, we want to trust you through the entire process. From the first initial step of faith all the way through to completion. Lord, we know that you desire to use us. We know that you desire to do things in and through us. Until you call us home, Lord, you have work for us to do. And we need trust and obedience to do that. So Lord, we pray that your spirit would fall on us today. And Lord, that we would leave here with greater trust and obedience. 
If you're here today and you've never taken that step to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to take that first step of faith right now. It's a matter of responding to the Holy Spirit in your heart. And you just go before him and say, God, I, I am a sinner. I need a savior in Jesus. I believe that you died to save me. I believe you paid the full penalty for me. So I trust in you. I trust in the completed work that you did for me on the cross. And in my first act of obedience, Lord, I give you my life. Would you come into my life right now? Would you wash away every sin? Would you, would you give me eternal life? Fill me with your spirit. I desire to follow after you from this moment on. Lord, as we prepare our hearts together now for communion, would you have, have a work done in our hearts, drawing us closer to you? In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue to worship, would you please stand? Let's worship the Lord together as we, in a little bit, the the ushers will come forward and distribute the elements as they do there's two cups the bread is in the bottom cup the juice is in the top cup
things about atonement, the payment that was made for us, is the fact that we were separated, but now we've been completely reunited with the Lord. Atonement, I like that it's, it's the way to remember what atonement means, it means at-one-ment, <laughs> that we have been reunited. The chains are gone. We have been set free. And who the sun sets free is free indeed. And we can only have that confidence 